0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. We're going to try something a little bit different here. If you've noticed, I actually have our guest, Ben Leonard, here with us. And I'm really excited because Ben and I have been trying to get this interview together for a while. He's a co-founder of e-commerce brokers. He is an amazing, well sought after Amazon e-commerce expert and consults with companies from private equity all the way down to individuals with his Ben Leonard, his own BenLeonard.pro site. But what I really found interesting when I was kind of going through this, and Ben, I'd love to kind of get your take how this happened. You started off sort of as an environmental engineer and all these eco things, a little bit of a side thing into some oil and gas, and then all of a sudden, B-Skier. What happened?
1: Yeah, yeah, what happened? It was not a trajectory I thought that I would end up taking. I grew up in the northeast of Scotland, beautiful countryside, Loved nature, grew up around um, nature. So it was natural for me to study zoology and then ecology. That's how I ended up becoming an ecologist. I thought I'd go into academia, but I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. But I ended up in, cons- in consultancy. Uh, so I was, uh, I was the tree hugger uh, who my job was to tell the oil guys they couldn't throw chemicals in the sea and to help the regulator make the regulations. And I I generally enjoyed it until uh, I got sick. I got a heart problem in, uh, well, I had it three times. And the third time it occurred in early 2016, I uh, was told, right, you need to stop working for a while, take all these drugs, and you need to stop your fitness hobbies. And so I needed something to do. So I started a fitness brand to keep me in touch with my fitness hobbies whilst I recovered. And then I got better and it was all good. This this brand beast gear that I started as a hobby uh, turned out to go pretty well. I ended up quitting my job, focusing on that, growing that, and I grew that, and we were doing uh, mid seven figures, about six million bucks in revenue when I sold that in late twenty nineteen, and that was the. That's right. It was the first European aggregator deal. So it was the first European brand bought by one of these aggregators, the new wave of roll ups that came around twenty eighteen nineteen, and then uh, from there. Well, I mean, so obviously by that point, I was well and truly an e-commerce person. And so from there, I I started the brokerage based on my own experience of selling my business. I felt like I could do a better job. And I still build brands now because I love it. And, um, and I now know how to build a brand into something valuable that I can sell. And so I never thought I'd end up doing this. But it's funny how uh, life changes when circumstances kind of force you to change.
0: Yeah, I mean, before we jump too much into sort of... Furthering into sort of where you are in your own entrepreneurial journey, because you've had, you know, you've made the transition, you've built it, you had the success, you've had a great exit, all this stuff. Who, you know, between the brokerage and the consulting and then the private equity consulting, and you know, how do you see that balance? Like who who are the different people you're kind of working with with each one?
1: Sure, a variety. So for instance. I may consult one day with somebody who's a uh, a solopreneur running an e-commerce business on their own. Perhaps they have a a bunch of um, freelancers on the other side of the planet helping them with certain aspects. And they are they might be relatively new or or established, but with you know a modest turnover of a few hundred grand or something. The next day, I might be talking with other entrepreneurs who who might be turning over tens of millions. And then there's there's the, the private equity side. So I consult with uh, private equity-backed brands, um, in particular sort of families of brands under one umbrella. And then it's it's individually consulting with the CEOs of those brands to help them get up to speed, really, because many of these organizations are quite old and antiquated in their ways with many onion layers of bureaucracy. And they haven't been able to keep up with the nimble, speedboat entrepreneurs I like to call them because we're so nimble we're able to change direction fast on our laptops in our spare rooms and so those are the people that I'm talking with um, whether that's as, as with my own hat on or with my broker hat on
0: yeah it's fascinating because I think we've seen with so many different ways of the digitals you know right from the beginning where it's this weird mix of like what I want to call the pro amateurs and then the, yeah the True professionals where it's like the people who have no clue and just are like I'm gonna make this work and they create things that then all of a sudden like oh we need to copy this yeah it used to be in the early days you yeah. got to copy porn nowadays it's like you gotta copy you know the e-commerce the influencers this porn is less of an innovative area <laughs> all right let's yeah. get let's get off <laughs> let me get off that topic but um actually What I find really fascinating about that is, and kind of you know, as an acquisition entrepreneur, you know, I've sold a couple of companies and I'm looking to go back and buy. I've been fascinated about companies that are underutilizing assets, and it's so funny because when I look at e-commerce and I realize, okay, that's not really where I want my thesis to be, but I do see lots of businesses that have e-commerce opportunities as part of their overall effort and are just yep. massacring and it. it's that sort of like yeah you know, when you go look at a company you know a business's social thing and it's like two posts per week with 10 views you know for the past five years you know it's that like ooh, why are you even doing that
1: yeah and the post is just like Something from their product catalog right it's yeah it's not a lifestyle image or or anything remotely interesting for social. They've just copied something off their website and pasted it onto their instagram feed
0: and it's very similar for many brands around their e commerce because it's like you would think even to a certain degree you know and because we are so in the world that they would at least be doing something on Amazon, but they're not, and then you'd yeah. think, okay, you would be using shopify but Surprisingly, oh, not. Not. yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know, do you get, yeah. yeah, it's like. And this is a
1: tremendous, still a tremendous opportunity. You know, I see it a lot, particularly, you know, as a side note, I do some consulting up over here in Scotland where I live for um, an organization which champions Scottish businesses. It's, it gets funding from the government and their 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 role is to help Scottish businesses grow, right? So I do a bit of consulting with them. And many of the businesses that I help, uh, still, even now, 2023, are way behind the curve on e-commerce because they've traditionally made their money perhaps uh, wholesale or they've had all sorts of uh, retail relationships across the country and indeed internationally. They've never really needed to take advantage of the, the online opportunity until now. And even then, th- there's, there's so much low-hanging fruit And these businesses are a really interesting opportunity for investment and acquisition because there are so many buyers now who have had time over the last several years to really hone in how to take an asset that is either distressed or just, it's not really distressed, it just never performed well, right? It's just, it hasn't been there and optimize it to perform well, uh, whether that's on their own website or on a marketplace like Amazon. So there are tremendous opportunities there. Um, and lots of great deals to be had, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because one I'm just, right behind you is uh, really cool. Well, I guess you had moved, but um, the Nicaragua coffee bag and Nicaragua before things got really kind of crazy over the past, you know, few years. Um, I used to go down and go surfing down there all the time, and it is one of my. Yeah, it is such a beautiful, great thing that one of my loving thesis, you know, one potential is looking at unknown, well loved local brands that are not in immigrant or expat communities. You know, as yep. someone who lived on lived in the Coast of the Seoul for five years, it was like there was you know, there was this Iceland that had all the British food. But yeah, they got crazy with Brexit, and like they had to actually shrink and do this. You see, like the little teeny Scandinavian markets in some of the towns. All this, and it's like, wow, all that effort to this. But it's like, what types of foods can you find out there, and then bring to an e-commerce environment? Yeah, how can you upscale? How can you transition it? And that's I find so fascinating.
1: I mean, the thing is, though, that many of these organizations, if only they knew the opportunity that is there, they could do it themselves because, you know, we live in a time now where the, the playing field is, is, is so much more level because of the abundance of cheap and free tools. If we didn't live in the times we live in now, it wouldn't have been possible for me a someone with no business experience, no marketing experience, no product development experience to take my idea for a fitness brand and make it a reality but we do so i could so you know imagine for a second i don't know like a little shop in iceland right the country iceland and you go on holiday there and you buy a woolly hat yeah. and you get home and everybody's complimenting you on it and you're you're looking at the hat and you're thinking wow i really loved so many other things in the shop i wish i could have bought bought more but that shop that store they had no online presence they didn't put a little card in your bag with their website on it. They have no way to contact you. You have no way to contact them. What a wasted opportunity. Particularly if you'd visited it in 2019 and then all of a sudden in 2020, they're stuck because it's, it's easy for them up until that point, right? There's hordes of tourists going to Iceland. It's a beautiful place, right? They just keep chucking people in the top of the funnel, but there's no bottom of the funnel. They don't have a funnel. And so now... Come to you know, imagine we're in 2020 now, they, they, there's nothing they can do, they can't remarket to you, and their business is, is collapsed and is now worth nothing. Whereas, if they had only had that e commerce presence, which they could have built really easily, cheaply, or freely with no business experience or online web development experience, then they could have remarketed to you throughout COVID times and kept selling online. And these are the businesses that I think are a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs like you and me to go and acquire, but it's finding them.
0: Yeah, it's finding them and then also sort of, you know, the markets, because one of the things in my recent conversations, I have a good, and since you, brought, you said Iceland, one of my good friends um, is Icelandic, but he's been an American now for about 20 years. We were talking recently, I was in a beer distributor here down in Virginia, and I was like, oh, I saw an Icelandic beer. And he was like, oh, which one? I was uh, pulling the blank. It's like, I know the guy who owns it back in Iceland because everyone in Iceland knows each other. (laughs) He was like, we all know each other, but yeah, he says he can't get a distributor in New York. He can only get it. You know, there's like three in the U S that he can, you know, get it to and not saying that that would be the right for e-commerce, but it's like, and there's in markets that have very little Icelandic presence. So he's like, you know, New York, you know, like any big city, it's like the big cities, but this, it's like, I think it's fascinating to like, look and see like, you know, that same Icelandic thing. It's like, Oh, you are an e-commerce. Then all of a sudden it's like, Oh yes, I haven't been home in 20 years or whatever. Or now I have kids in X, Y, Z country and I want them to have that. You know, it's all these, you know, we're this global market, but with like so few niche, Niche players that like fit, you know, like the targeting of the people who could really love those. Yeah, but if you can find the niche,
1: then you can really build something that can be worth something amazing in the future. For instance, let me give you an example. where this was a guy we worked with a client at Econ Brokers, and this was quite remarkable. Actually, he w- would go on holiday to Bali in Indonesia, and he came across this um, little store selling beautiful brass fittings for kitchens bathrooms but also like handles for drawers and doors right he was struck by by the quality and the uniqueness of them and he bought a whole bunch of it and took it home and sold it on ebay and made tons of money so he went back and did it several times bringing just bringing back suitcases of the stuff and eventually he was introduced by the the person who owned the store to the factory. And this was a unique factory with no commercial sense. They had all the abilities in the world to make this fantastic quality and unique product, but no commercial sense. And they were very remote in Indonesia. No one else really knew who they were. So he was able to put together this agreement with them. And over the next uh, about five years, he completely cornered the market, selling uh, exclusively from them, on Etsy across the UK and Europe. And the quality was it was it was a double win because the quality was way better than they anyone else could get from China. And the price was way better than anyone else could get from China. And no one else could figure out where he was getting this stuff or how he was doing it. And so he just absolutely crushed the competition both on, he, he, there was no race to the bottom because his quality was better, better than everyone else's. And his reviews were phenomenal because his quality was better than everyone else's. And he was able to still offer it at a decent price that got people in the door in the first place, right? So the price was not, um, it was like, it was a mid to premium kind of product. And as a result of that, we were able to sell his business at a, a really high multiple because he'd completely cornered this niche market as you say taking something that was quite unique for one part of the world selling it somewhere else that's the kind of thing that you can achieve and now uh, after selling he, he bought a yacht and now he's sailing around the world somewhere um good, good for him. <laughs> and,
0: horrible life. and that's, horrible that's what
1: you can do when you can find these little things now i'm not saying right. everyone else, everyone's just going to go and find one of these opportunities but it just illustrates the point that when you build a moat around your business and make it quite niche what you can achieve is quite extraordinary
0: you know and kind of looking at the combination of you know the consulting and then the brokerage one thing i've been fascinated by in my own search and i would love to you know possibly in this one idea it's very early so you know this is just but their heritage food distributor with then a very specific ethnic food license for you know the state i live in here in the u.s in virginia which has a high immigrant population because of the capital and i find it very fascinating because they have they're very they're not antiquated they have some really good traditional business systems and stuff but no digital and yet they do have a significant cash flow they have a revenue base they have clients that are 30 plus years contracts you know it's just like huh you know combining you know looking at the two things you're you know the multiple things you're doing it's like i could see like going and buying a company that is underutilizing its opportunity with the cash flow to then reinvest into you know a digital e-commerce presence and sort of then use that as an expansion because it's like the cash flow is a whole different game than you know the distribution model so it's just I think what you're doing is so fascinating because mixing and matching them, you could really create some very significant businesses out of this. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And the 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 opportunities, especially if you get creative, are you know, endless.
0: Okay. Wow. Just you've already yeah. You know, even in just listening to K talk, I'm like, sorry. Let's get it back to you because. I'm the already thinking some of my yeah. It's like wait, uh if I do this, you know, maybe I can do so. Just yeah, you know, in the audience, what I've been thinking of. It's like oh yeah, the types of maybe bolt-on acquisitions within you know, you get buy the traditional thing and then rather than you know, you do your own work, but also figure out an e-commerce bolt-on to that type of thing. That could be really interesting. But all right, given the success you've had, and you know, we didn't even touch, you know. In the audience but we'll have this you know you i've seen people you know come in and talk about like oh i am xyz expert i always find it great when i find multiple other references from other people other you know sources talking about you know the expertise of the guest so it's not like your own pr you are considered one of the top e-commerce experts out there. And when I've talked to other people, your name has come up and sort of you were introduced as I asked for someone as one of the best. So that's kind of why I found so fascinating. Yeah, you've had the success. Yeah, you are, since we hear some kids in the background, I assume you have children. (laughs) Yes, you're on your way. Very cool. I have teenagers, which means I'm miserable. Um, but it's a different type of <laughs> misery. Where are you on your own entrepreneurial journey? You've had success. You're building thing. You know, you're building this great, you know, presence plus the e-commerce brokerage. Where are you, and where are you planning on going on this journey?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Well, I mean, I never knew it was a journey I was going to go on. I didn't know I had an entrepreneurial spark inside me. Uh, I skipped a generation. My grandparents, all my grandparents, were entrepreneurs of some kind, and then my parents, you know, worked for the man, so to speak. And where I am, I guess, is is here. Uh, I have unfinished entrepreneurial business, right? I I still have this kind of spark to burn through. I've got multiple brand ideas that I want to do. I can't do them all at the same time, so some of them are going to have to wait. I co own two brands right now. One which launched about four months ago. One which will launch later this year with a Kickstarter. And what I love about that is that it, it, it allows me to keep my feet in the trenches, and therefore understand what it is like to be an e-commerce business owner, which is vital for the brokerage clients, because I need to know what it's like to be them. The reason I still have capacity to do these several things that I, is that I partner on everything now. So with one of the brands, which is in the sports space, I mentor my co-founder on that, and the other brand, uh, my co-founder runs the day-to-day, and I'm more of the brand visionary kind of guy. So those brands are being built to sell. Uh, that's, that's the way that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. That's always the plan now. It keeps me in touch with the day-to-day e-commerce. The brokerage journey is an interesting one. It, it started out really because it's the classic scratch your own itch, right? The broker that I used to sell my first brand uh, was a bit of a disaster. In my defense, there weren't that many options. When I made the decision to sell, it was early 2019 when I decided to sell. In, in, in e-commerce years, that's a long time ago. They made a couple of, errors. one of which could have cost me about half a million bucks. My accountant and I spotted it and fixed it. And so after we'd done the deal, we said to each other, let's do a better job. She that's Alison has got close to 30 years, mergers and acquisitions experience anyway. So it was a good fit her on the number me on the e-commerce side, understanding what it's like to actually own and operate a brand, develop products, market them. So that business, the brokerage, um, we're thoroughly enjoying that. That's not necessarily going to be sold. Uh, probably will one day, but not in the in 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 the near future. And then once I've burnt through this entrepreneurial spark, I want to return to my roots. So I'm, for context, I'll be 35 later this year. So I'm not sure when. Maybe in about 10 years' time, I want to get back into my original passion of environmental conservation, but apply entrepreneurship to it. Because I mentioned earlier that I didn't go into academia. And part of the reason I didn't go into academia is it's, you know, I did a master's degree. And so I worked closely with PhDs and I could see what they were up to. And the problem with them, as smart as they are, is they don't get shit done. They have a lot of great ideas, but they they don't get stuff done. And I spent some time working and also volunteering with environmental NGOs who are full of very smart people, but often don't actually engage with industries to get stuff done either. Rather, they just kind of stand at the sidelines, waving their arms in the air and moaning rather than engaging. And so what I think as entrepreneurs we can do is we're, we're doers. We get stuff done. This is why, you know, in my country, the largest landowner in Scotland is actually a Danish billionaire called Anders Povelson, if you Google him, he's an interesting guy was in the news a few years ago, very sadly, four of his kids were killed in a terrorist attack in sri lanka um made his money in clothing now owns vast swathes of the of the Scottish highlands because he wants to rewild it and it's entrepreneurs you get stuff done you know there's a, a a beer company uh from where I live called brewdog. They're worth billions now they're now in the u s got got yeah they've got they' got breweries like Spain, in the Spain everywhere,
0: right? yeah,
1: yeah. They've bought large areas of land in Scotland uh, for two reasons. One is to rewild it and replant Caledonian pine forest, and the other part is, is commercial. They're going to build like these kind of environmentally friendly holiday chalets and that type of thing. But at least they're actually doing something. And I think that um, environmental conservation needs entrepreneurial spirit to get stuff done. So if you can combine my actual skill set of having you know a degree or two degrees in that subject with the entrepreneurial skill set, I think that that could be pretty formidable. So I want to return to that in the future. I know that's not really the topic of the podcast, but it's it's where I'm headed, right? But I'll always, like, I'll never, I'll never not have my thumbs in some sort of e-commerce-related activity or brand-related activity because it's too much fun not to.
0: <laughs> I agree. It's, you know, and what I find, you seem very deliberate in this process because, as someone who many times when I've had success, I jokingly, as my team would say, become squirrel. You know, like every bright, shiny object, let's work on. And, yeah. you know, I like that you are putting, a, you know, a pro, maybe not a specific process, but a cadence to your effort, you know, and your expectations thereof. Because as having learned the hard way and then in interviewing so many people, yeah you know, we're doing some incredible things like you are it really does seem it's like deferred gratification in a systematic process really is kind of one of the secret sauces of you know entrepreneurial success it is like okay yeah you got to work fast and you got to chase things but you know it's how you put it into process and what you know your ability to push things your payouts to a future point that then actually creates higher value. So that's really cool that you're developing that. Let's, let me ask sort of a past tense and then a future tense question around that. In one of the major transition points we were talking before the interview, you know, before we started recording that, like, what I'm very fascinated in is those sort of inflection points in economic, you know, in entrepreneurial growth, like, You know, you think when you start a company and all of a sudden things start growing regularly or fast or whatever, that it's going to get simpler. Yet, as we all know, you may be able to pay your bills, but things get more complex and there's more stress and there's more moving parts. So, all of a sudden, there's this famous thing that most businesses, 90 plus, will never hit a million. Most businesses that hit to 3 million will actually fall back. There's like 80% of businesses that hit three to five million fall back significantly rather than grow. And then the same thing when you get to seven and again at 10. There's all these chasms. What has been a major inflection point for you and what helped you the most get through that in the past? And then let's sort of maybe guess going into the future, what it's going to be for you to transition into that.
1: Major inflection points for me. In terms of like my journey in entrepreneurship or like yeah, any of my businesses or, or either.
0: Any of your businesses. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. what has been the difficult parts? What have been like, oh, that was different. <laughs>
1: yeah, sure. Well, I remember one challenge in particular with my first brand and it was overcoming that challenge that actually led to enormous growth. So here's what it was. the UK, I was selling in the U.K., And things are going great. We had not yet left the EU. We had voted to leave the EU, but we hadn't left. Thank goodness. We have now left, and it's been a total pain in the ass. But anyway, nevertheless, (laughs) my main sales channel was was Amazon. And Amazon had a program. They still do have this program, and they're trying their best to help the UK uh, get back onto it as as best they can. They had this program called Pan-EU. And what it was, was that they would ship your products um, right across Europe for free to make sure that they were available locally in fulfillment centers so that, you know, somebody in Milan could get your product on Prime fast, right? Up until that point, somebody in mainland Europe could buy my product, but it would take several days to get to them, and it wasn't available on Prime. So the moment somebody in Dusseldorf filters Prime, my product's not there, right? So to get onto the Pan-EU program, I needed to register for VAT. In France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Poland, and the Czech Republic. And now you would have to add on Sweden and a couple of other countries as well. And it was, especially at that time, 2017, it was not easy. They didn't make it easy for you. There wasn't some service. You had to do it per country on your own, forms in a variety of languages. Some countries required that you had documents translated only by a translator who had a particular qualification, some countries require that you had documents <laughs> notarized by somebody called a notary. In Spain, to register for VAT in Spain, this is hilarious, I had to find this one guy in my city who was qualified to stamp my documents with one of these like medieval wax seals that they used to use to seal envelopes in medieval times. It was quite hilarious. Now, many of my competitors could not be bothered to do this, to jump through this hoop. many groups and i nearly gave up a million times but eventually it got done and when it got done my sales basically doubled overnight and then of course i continued to snowball because i started to dominate all those markets because the competitors were either not there or those that were there were under optimized and those that were trying to optimize were not doing it as well as me and didn't provide amazing customer service in the local language and all the extra miles that i went so That one thing, jumping through those hoops so I could get onto the pan-EU program, it doubled my sales there and then, but the compounding effect of that was incredible. And so I grew very quickly to doing um, about $6 million in sales after three years, only selling in the UK and Europe. wasn't selling in the US. I kind of wish I'd gone to the US as well. probably would have done double or triple that. And that was a huge inflection point. And the lesson, I think, from that is jump through the hoops, because when you do you emerge on the other side in much greener grass, right? I kind of liken it to, you know, imagine you are, um, you're leading your caveman tribe over some treacherous pass. But when you get over the treacherous pass into this lush valley of resources with no competition, you will thrive. So that was huge for
0: me. It's so funny you say that because I, having lived in Europe for a while, I now refuse to ski in the U.S. I always go to the Alps. And so often, you know, and you read history where so often it's like these treacherous, the armies go up these paths. But then it's like you reach a crest and then it's like this open, smooth, you can just like roll down the hill and be fine where, you know, you had to do so much work to get through. But, you know, bureaucratic hurdles are little known moat opportunity.
1: Oh, yeah. I love them. Yeah. Every time I come across one of these headaches now, the first thing I do is go, oh, another thing to do. And then I say, excellent. Another thing that I will do and other people will not do. And that is going to set my business apart from others. And I'm seeing it now with my new businesses, you know? There's always gonna be new opportunities for those of us who are willing to go the extra mile, can take advantage of. And I see it right with Exits, right? I see it with our clients because Those who are quite short termist and just will say, right, I want to sell my business in three months versus somebody who says, right, I'm going to take the time to plan this and get it ready so that I can sell it in a year or 18 months or 24 months. The gain that you get, it comes back to your previous point about this long-term thinking and patience, right? It is remarkable what happens. And I think that comes from treating your business like a big boy grown-up business and treating it with the respect it deserves. Because... I think the mistake or the trap that we, we fall into uh, being involved in the di- digital world is this. It's 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 both part of what makes e-commerce so great and part of what makes it a potential trap. So what makes it great is there's an opportunity for everyone now because of all the availability of free tools and easy marketplaces and platforms like Shopify so that any idiot like me can build a website, right? That's amazing. But because it's so easy and so accessible and we do it on our computers, It almost feels like a game. It feels other. It feels remote and separate from our real day job because we probably start our business when we have a day job. And it feels so easy and so gamified that we don't treat it like a real grown-up business. And we fall into this trap. And so then instead of planning our exit properly, for instance, or making the mistake of trying to register our own trademarks rather than working with an IP expert, we fall into this trap and we don't take it seriously and we're going to pay for it later. Either we in ways that we know about or in unknown ways because we just don't know what we would have been able to achieve if only we taken it seriously
0: yeah and it is so true i see so often this you know and i've seen it for almost every phase since the early 90s all the way through i had a client in 2007 when video when um zigzag I can't even remember when the first sort of animated video protocols was getting popular and yep very conservative wholesale distributor you know we had a meeting with the CEO and the chairman and we had this plan and, you know we were very like all right let's get the analytics in place let's get the SEO all this and the chairman stops us and says no 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 this is not the way i have the idea we need to do a video of dancing naked grandfathers. And I was just okay. like, but you're a wholesaler that sells to dollar stores and charities. I don't understand. <laughs> it's just like, so I've always called it you know, like that, like the home run swinging. There are great businesses that are built on home run swings, or, yeah, sorry, Americanism. You know on the long shot you know that one you know, let's take this big one shot but the vast majority of every success are lots of incremental foundational efforts that then build upon it and build upon it and then take a big shot because they can they can either absorb a miss or be even more importantly take advantage of a large successful event where most businesses even if they do get one big flash in the pan it's gone you know they can't absorb the traffic they don't know how to keep it you know it should rushed it just disappears so i love your you know i call it foundational focus but your way of it's very yeah you know, it's that similar approach like do the right things for the right reasons you know being deliberate as i mentioned sort of yeah, you know, as you talked about your future it's like you're very deliberate so okay now that you've had this, you know, you're talking about this, what would be, what do you think that transition is going to look like in 10 years or so when you do go out? What do you think could help you the most make that effective? When I leave e-commerce, you mean? Or when you take, and who knows if you're leaving it, but when you move to an environmental entrepreneur or, you know, a B Corp or whatever that type of structure may be.
1: The levers that I think that I can pull to have the biggest impact um, will be being able to apply that entrepreneurial uh, perspective to topics which to date have not received that kind of attention. So, you know, to come back to the Anders Povelson example, uh, before him, nobody was thinking about, nobody from a commercial point of view was thinking about how do we take ecosystems which have been destroyed by mismanagement and re- return them to their former glory and how can we make that work possibly from a co- commercial point of view or actually i don't think he's interested in making any money out of it from the other side of it though how can i continue to have my feet in the e-commerce space and still make that work you know uh big hinges move big doors no little hinges move big doors whatever the phrase <laughs> is right it's, yeah it's, pushing the right buttons, you don't necessarily need to be uh, pushing all of the buttons. And what I mean by that, I think is that over the time that I've been in this space, and the experience that I've acquired so far, I've learned how to identify the critical few things that can really make a difference for a business. And that comes from experience. So let me give you an example. I was chatting with a guy the other day. He's a mentee. We have this program with e brokers where people who aren't ready to sell will actually, um, and often they want to sell, but we'll tell them they're not ready to sell. We'll actually mentor them on route to announce it. And there was this guy, he's, he's a great guy. He's got a cool brand, but he hadn't been thinking about, he'd been struggling with profitability and also cash flow, And he hadn't been thinking about all the opportunities available to him to uh, reduce his, 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 his cogs. And he he, neglected a pretty basic principle of, of negotiation, and I was basically it was just the experience that I'd had of well. I've I've been in in the position you've been where you've been placing these these orders, the volumes getting bigger. You're bringing in this great business for this supplier. It makes total sense now that you are in it, You've got the power now to negotiate. So that one change for him significantly reduced his cogs which meant he now had the ability to spend more on marketing to compete with his competitors. At the same time, he hadn't thought about how can he make this a win-win for his supplier. And so we were able to then build out forecasts as to where his business was going. And we built out a, a, a low case, a middle case, and a high case as to if his supplier was to offer him better payment terms and also agree to store portions of his shipment and not charge him for it until it shipped, so basically zero down and zero when it was finished, just zero until it fi- until, until they ship it. In fact, it was then further net 60 days after shipping. Yes, of course, that would improve his cash flow position and allow him tons more money to, to to spend and grow. But we were able to then use that to then say, hey, supplier, if you do this, this is what we're going to achieve. And these are the numbers of, this is the order volume we're going to be ordering from you. And it was just those two things which made an enormous difference to him. So going back to your question, when I've extricated myself from more of what I'm doing, you know, these days, and I'm more sort of, I see myself probably sitting on boards and advising brands and sitting on boards and advising in uh, conservation organizations, it's just having the eye for the situation. and being able to see, right, in this situation, this is the lever you want to pull. And in that situation, that is the lever you want to pull. and in many cases that's still going to come from experience that i haven't yet had cuz i'm still planning to do this for another you know 10 or 15 years right so who knows what experiences i'm going to have between now and then and mistakes that i'll make right which is you know which is great you want to you want to make mistakes cuz mistakes is how you learn
0: i always say you want to make mistakes in forward planning and you want to have yeah. mistakes in past experience, but you don't want to be in the middle of experiencing mistake. It's always that, like, that little oh, that's
1: trick. A, yeah, it's like, that always sucks. And somebody says yeah. to you, you know, if you'll look back on this, it'll be a good learning experience, and you just say, shut up, because right now it sucks, <laughs> right?
0: But Yeah. Um, just,
1: yeah, and you want to try and make that. a mistake as fast as possible so that the impact of the mistake is as small as possible, but the lesson from the mistake is
0: as big as possible. And sometimes those are, like, you know, the best the best forward opportunities as you have said yeah. multiple times i do think come from major mistakes just getting through them i have one last question for you because you are talking about you know 10 to 15 years transit you know and then even further transitioning um boards advisory both corporate and not for profit and yet you know you have one of the cutest sounding off camera young voices offering you cookies Right. Yeah. yeah. How are you as the entrepreneur, not your business interests and et cetera, but how are you as an entrepreneur defining success and how are you going to evolve that definition of success as you move forward?
1: That is a very great question because to me, this may come, come across sounding corny. I guess, you know, success is that you are healthy and happy and secure. So when I sold my first brand, I made the decision to sell it because it gave us security. I didn't have to sell it and potentially I could hold on to it and sell it for more later. But at the time, it was the right decision for me and my family. Yeah, it gave us the they
0: security. were hot to buy. So that,
1: yeah, it was the right thing. Now I have different projects and I suppose I define, would define success for each of those projects differently. I have goals for what I want to achieve with the baby brand. Yes, numbers goals, but also impact goals. So that baby brand. We're developing products that are 100% environmentally sustainable. Our first product Mm. is made from plastic bottles recovered from the ocean. You can see a theme here, right, of what I'm into. No, that's and So my goal there is to change the conversation on consumerism because we're not, at the moment, I think too much of our effort is placed on trying to get consumers to change their behavior, but they're not going to. So we just need to change supply chain so that by default, products are environmentally responsible. And not enough companies are doing that yet. So I'm trying to do that with parents because we can market it that way. We can say, hey, you want to leave a better planet for your kids? We'll put your money where your mouth is and buy our product, right? So success for that business is defined both on uh, numbers goals that we've got, but also on changing the conversation. How do we define that? Like, how do we know when we've changed the conversation? We're not sure yet, right? We'll figure that out. On the other hand, I have other goals and I don't know quite how you define success there. I'm launching a book later this year I know that I want to sell a certain number of copies in the first year and then a certain number of copies in years two and three. So those are pretty easy to define. I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes it's easy. There are qualitative targets. Sometimes it's more quantitative and sometimes it's more just a feeling. And although I have a scientific background, we're all about numbers and stats, I do believe that there's a lot to be said for just defining success on, okay, this feels good and it feels done which is how I felt when I made the decision to sell my first brand. It wasn't like, oh, we've hit this number in revenue, we've hit this number in profit, or we've hit this number in valuation. It was, okay, those numbers generally stack up. This feels right. And that's a perfectly legitimate approach. And sometimes that's what my clients, and e-com brokers say to me. This feels okay. And that's fine.
0: No, and that's kind of, I think, the fun I think what would be interesting, and yeah, maybe not even answering now, but maybe in a future discussion, is how are you evolving that? Because what I've noticed sometimes is there's one success breeds expectations of more success, both legitimately, and then sometimes ego based. Um, and it's that fine line, like oh, a foundation allows you to do more; you can play in a bigger playground, and et cetera, et cetera. But then sometimes you know, as I fell into with the last business, we were bigger. So therefore we had to do more and I had to have more of a voice. And then all of a sudden it was like, I got my ass kicked and had to rebuild it, you know, brick by brick before I could sell it. So it's like lesson learned. It's like ego is not the best driver of, you know, future effort. But it would be interesting, like, you know, do you look at time? Do you look at, you know, the things that impact then Mm. the movement of your cultures. You have little kids. Yeah, I know like my business focus changed. First two children were born. They were born 20 months apart and my son started it, but definitely my daughter fulfilled. You know, really it was like, I was no longer building a quick business. I was building something that would grow and become something much bigger yeah that could potentially be that like generational type business i lost track of it and i had to regroup but like that was such a big impetus so it's like i wonder if how you look at that success because you are looking at that lovely qualitative and quantitative mix if that changes over time for you but cool thing is you're in a great position to uh, experience that yeah you've done so much cool things so More, yeah, more experiences to be had.
1: Yeah, I think so, and and like you say, these things are dynamic, and the the definition of success and the goalposts and the targets are 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 constantly changing, and that's um that's because life is uh life is not linear, and these things don't go in straight lines, and you don't know what what curveball might be thrown at you.
0: So, getting back to yeah, the types of yeah, how should people? So here, let's first, for someone who has an e-commerce shop, yeah, you know, Amazon, et cetera, where should they go to check out Econ Brokers?
1: Sure. Yeah, uh, econbrokers.co.uk. It's a UK domain, but we're international. We have a deal director sitting in the US, John, he's in Chicago. And we uh, we work with clients all over the world, as far away as New Zealand. So that's econbrokers.co.uk. You can look at my site, which is benletter.pro um all my social handles are at ben leonard pro and if you want to check out my youtube channel it's uh ben leonard pro slash y t for youtube
0: all right cool well ben thank you and yeah you know, personally you i you know i'm looking at my notebook i oh i was very yeah you know, i had to almost force myself not to be like as you were talking start writing notes earlier but <laughs> Yeah, you know, thank you for sharing your experience. I know, you know, the audience like me, yeah, you know, there's so many cool things you're playing in, and it is such that sometimes it feels like, oh, everyone's doing this. Yet, yeah. as you mentioned, when you take that step back, you realize we are so early into what is happening and what is possible. So, oh, yeah. thank you so much for sharing with us today. That was very cool really enjoyed our chat. Uh, yeah i'm gonna have to get you back on and maybe we can dive into some of this into deeper details but thank you all right everyone thank you so much everyone for listening and um we'll have some more stuff coming soon all right talk of everyone soon bye this episode of beyond a figures is over but your journey as an entrepreneur continues so if we can help you with anything please just let us know And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.